1: Hello, hello. Welcome everyone. Hey Genevieve.
2: Hey Dave, how are you doing?
1: Ah good. I'm trying to scare the dog out of here so I don't <laughs> So if she barks, it won't be too loud. Yeah what's, what's new in your world this week?
2: Uh, not a whole lot. Um, I've been getting out a little bit more now that uh, I'm fully vaccinated and so is most everybody else in my community. So that's been fun making new friends, uh, yeah. re, you know hanging out with old ones too now that I'm back in my hometown. that's been that's what I've been up to. It's been nice.
1: Yeah, it is good to get out again and feel somewhat normal, even though we're far from normal yet, but yeah. it's it's good to get out there and do some things. So um, I think we should not hesitate to bring our guest on this week and don't yeah. wait any longer. Um, welcome everyone, Dr. Daryl Ray.
3: Hey, Dave, Genevieve, good to be here.
1: Hey, oh, Daryl, how you doing? Good, good. So you met Genevieve in the pre-show a little bit. Yep. Right. Um, I was telling Daryl a little bit, but Genevieve, give Daryl, you know, Daryl and I come from a religious background, thus his organization we'll talk more about, Recover From Mm -hmm. Religion, but give Daryl and remind the audience how you didn't come from that, where you came from and how you got involved in these things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, once again, it's so nice to meet you. I'm a huge, huge fan of your organization, and I am very fortunate that I myself have never needed it as a resource because, you know, as Dave said, I did not grow up with any religion. I grew up in a very secular household with family that also was, you know, had a certain disdain for religion and what it was doing to people. Um, And then I moved to the Bible Belt uh, about an hour and a half away from where Dave is now, and so, yeah. that was a trip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't realize that, you know, I, I understood that most people believed in God and that like a lot of people in America were Christian, but I didn't realize what came along with that as an, oh, you, you genuinely think that there's a man in the sky who is talking to you and caring about you and that there's angels and demons and that, you know, you can't do all of these things or you're going to burn in hell for eternity and it was you know every day i'm still kind of surprised when i when i think about all of the other things that go along with this belief that's so normalized
3: oh yeah that's it's crazy but you are so lucky you escaped yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah dave, dave and i aren't so lucky but dave's less lucky than i was i was i was raised in a pretty
1: yeah, you were kind of in a benign form of, of yeah. religion. I was in the fundamentalist evangelical world, which is the bane of this country and and everything. Um, but before we get into that, I want to remind uh, viewers that we have call lines open, and we can we want to talk about this evening um, re- religious trauma, um, recovering from religion, these kind of things. Obviously, that's. Daryl's focus and and the focus of the organization Recovering from Religion, which he founded. And we'll learn more about that in just a few minutes. But open, open lines, plenty, plenty of open lines. Call in, ask a question, make a comment, anything that any, nothing's off the table. So anything you want to talk about, we'll talk about. So Daryl, we were just together last weekend doing what?
3: We were at our excursion, the Recovering from Religion Excursion, which is actually a retreat. Mm-hmm. We just don't call it that because it has religious overtones. Yes, it does. <laughs> we do not. We do not like religious overtones or undertones or trigger warnings. Well, tell
1: us. Tell us about what. What's the reason for that, and what went on there, and what. What's that all about?
3: Well, it's an opportunity for people to just come together that are that are on their journey out of any religion. I mean, and we have just about every North American religion you could identify at the, at the retreat. We did it the first time two years ago, and then COVID hit. It was so successful. We had, uh, we had 50 people there plus some volunteers. And then this year we had 70 people there including volunteers. So it grew. We we added about 20 seats to them, to the excursion this year, Mm -hmm. but we had, we had people telling their stories, Uh, just talking to other people who are going through their journey away from religion can be quite healing and helpful. At the same time, we had speakers. I, I was one of the speakers. I, I spoke on religious infection. I also spoke on sexuality. I did two different talks. But Dr. Travis uh, Voorhees, who's the, one of the co-hosts of the Secular Therapy Project, he did a talk. Candace Gorham, whom you know really well, uh, Candice was there to give a talk. A couple different things. She talked on her new book that's coming up on uh, death, grief, death, and dying. Mm-hmm. And she also did a meditation class to teach people some meditation techniques. So it's it was a wide range of things that people could do wide range. of activities. And Alice Gretchen,
1: Alice Gretchen.
3: Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I didn't mean to forget her. Alice was Oh my goodness. We brought her in. She was our special guest. We try to have a special guest every year. Mm-hmm. And this year we had Alice, who's a bona fide actress. Uh, look at her yeah. IMDb on, you know, look up IMDb, Alice Gretchen. Mm-hmm. You have to spell her last name right, though, because yeah. it, I, I can't spell it. It's very different. <laughs> and you'll you'll realize this, this woman has been an amazing number of films and things. And she's a legitimate actress building a career for herself. But more interesting to us uh, was her talk on mystical the neurobiology of mis- mystical experiences
1: fascinating it
3: was wasn't it it was oh my a, god
1: yes uh she's it, brilliant and she she's written great. a book called we're gonna have her on genevieve she's yeah she's coming on in november uh we don't have the date set yet but she'll be a guest on the show she oh, is so, so
3: excited for that her her talk was a talk a phd would be proud be proud. absolutely
1: incredible she's, slide presentation yeah basically the what's going on in the brain when you're slain in the spirit, when you're speaking in tongues, those things that we attributed to the power of the Holy spirit, there's a legitimate brain thing going on in your brain that explains what those, what those experiences are all about. It's fascinating. Yeah. And she had
3: done a research. It was up to date yeah. research. Uh, some of which I wasn't familiar with. So I, I learned from it,
1: but Jeez. you know, I had, I had so many good connections with so many people at that excursion. just, you know the speakers, as you and I both know, Daryl. Things like that. The speakers are great, but it's those it's those one-on-one mm-hmm. connections that you make, isn't it?
3: Right. And it was such
1: a gorgeous surroundings with three ponds
3: right next to all the cabins and beautiful cabins. Uh, we did have some logistical problems with water, <laughs> water in a couple of the cabins, but it didn't. Who needs running way. water when you're
1: out roughing it like that, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't too happy about that, but uh, you know. Things happen. You can't you can't help it sometimes. No, right. it was
1: a great experience, and and applause to you guys. Shannon Nebo was kind of the heart and soul getting that going. I mean, the yeah. nuts and bolts of running it, right? And Barb in the kitchen. Oh boy, that was fun. Yeah. But uh, just all the work behind the scenes that that is required for those kind of things just and we always had a, impresses We had a me. number
3: of people who were back for the second time. You know, they were at the first one. They're back for this one. And we had a lot that were brand new to it. But like you said, Dave, it's it's talking to other human beings, going to walk walking around the pond, and getting mm-hmm. going with somebody else and hearing their story. We also had five secular therapists there from the Secular yeah. Therapy Project, count, counting me four, not counting me, and they were available to talk to anybody. And we counted up that at least eighteen, and probably close somewhere between eighteen and twenty-five people actually took advantage of the opportunity mm-hmm. to just sit down and talk with a certified legitimate therapist uh, about yeah. about their journey <laughs> yeah. now they weren't there to do therapy they were there to be a, a good ear and maybe refer some resources but that's a unique thing about our we, we have therapists right there we have good speakers we have cool people like like you dave there to talk to and uh, you know people people like connecting with with you because you've been through a lot of the shit that they've been through. Oh,
1: I had so many people that just wanted to talk to me having heard my story. I had so many great conversations with individuals. It was just rich.
3: Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, we can, we we look forward to it for a year. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we have already started, I'm serious. We've already started planning, we've reserved, The the venue for next year already we are ready. Well,
1: isn't the goal actually to have to expand it and have one in the fall in the east and one in the west in in the spring and something like that? Once we get kind of normalized in this country again,
3: Uh, yeah, we would like to see that because I think there's plenty of opportunity on both coasts and mid Midwest. Uh, We we're even talking, and this is this is still the talking phase, but we're serious about it. We're even talking about going and doing something like this in Australia. Mm-hmm. we we have a lot of r f r people in australia i i bet we've got fifteen related people that are actually doing stuff in some way shape or form uh whether it be therapists or yeah agents in we australia t- that are really really excited
1: we tend to think of and i've got we've got a couple of calls and one of them is is gonna is gonna touch on this so we'll get to it in just a second but um we tend to think of of religious dogma and fundamentalism as a Bible Belt thing, you know, um, the South and the Midwest. And it is hyper prevalent there, but this is everywhere. we got people in the UK, you got Australia, out, you know, everywhere you can think of fundamentalism is, is an issue.
3: Yeah. And I've been surprised at how many chats we have gotten over the years from Norway. You think of Norway as really really secular and even Sweden, but Norway's the one that surprised me the most. We've got, there are some nasty cults in Norway. Oh, really? Yeah. But uh, even though Norway's predominantly secular, there's still mm-hmm. religious cults there.
1: Well, Daryl, I want to get to recovery from religion a little more in depth in just a minute, but Genevieve, I wanted you to, I wanted to ask you Genevieve, just are you surprised? I know you got into, this space, if you will, because you saw what was going on around you, even though you didn't come out of it. Were you surprised and are you still surprised that religious trauma is a real thing?
2: You know, I am not surprised whatsoever. Um, You know, it it kind of, I I think it wasn't something that I necessarily thought of too much when I was growing up, but I think at the same time, we didn't really have that language when I was growing up, but I already knew people who, had grown up religious and were still dealing with, you know, fears of hell and, you know, their own existential crises. And so it only made sense that religious trauma would exist. And then, of course, once I started getting really into diving into evangelical Christianity, particularly in America, you know, I spent a lot of time in ex-Christian groups and listening to ex-Christian podcasts. And that, you know, that is such a universal experience of, you know, even if you're not dealing with the trauma of the beliefs that you grew up and the fear that you had instilled in yourself, there's still just the trauma of of grief because you're not just right. losing, you know, you're not losing a belief, you're losing an entire identity, you're losing an entire community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I think is so beautiful uh, about what you're doing, Daryl, and especially with this retreat is that... It's so important for people to know that the benefits that they got from religion, that community and that connection, I, that's a lot of what makes people mm-hmm. stay. Um, and you can get there. You can get that elsewhere. Mm-hmm.
3: So I think yeah, that's we really, put, really great. We put a lot of emphasis on that at the, at the excursion. This is your new community if you want it and or build one like this back at where you came from.
1: Yeah. And we'll talk, I've got a call I want us to take, but we'll talk more about, I want you to bring this, bring us back to this if I forget the chat rooms and the uh, the actual in-person groups that you're forming all over, really all over the world. Um, right. The, the, what do you, what are they called actually? Um,
3: well, the meetup groups.
1: Meetup groups. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Basically support groups essentially is what yeah, they are
3: Yeah. Uh, for people
1: group. in a, in a particular location to have someone to go and sit with and talk to
3: peer support groups
1: is what they yeah. are. So I want to take a call from Robert in New Jersey. He, him, and he asks, why does fundamentalist religion tend to be in the South, what we were just talking about? So let me see if I can get him on. Hello, Robert. Are you there?
4: Yes, I am. Hey, Robert. Yeah, I, was, uh, curious about, I, uh, I was curious about this because I'm I'm in New Jersey, and uh, I went to church for years because I like singing in the choir, and it's one of the few chances to sing with yeah. piano or organ instead of just, you know, with a radio. But... The way religion is presented was presented in the various churches I I went to was very calm. It was more like they tell a story out of the Bible and tell you how it might apply to today's living. There was no hellfire and brimstone, none of that. It seems like th- that that's that version of preaching is a just a purely southern thing, where it's where it's very forceful and uh, it's immediate, and you have to. Get right with God right now. I mean, that's, that's, Is that true? Is that, is that why there's so much fundamentalism in the South compared to the North?
1: Well, Daryl, what do you think? Why do you I, think it's more prevalent in some areas like the South and the Midwest?
3: Well, there's there's some uh, good reasons for that. Historically, it's a historical thing. Okay. Uh, if you think about where did the southern where did Southern Baptists come from? They came from slavery. I mean, they even had slavery as part of their constitution uh, as late as 1979. You know, Mm. they weren't, they did not condemn slavery as late as 1979. So we can look at the very roots of of religion in the United States and two things, two things can be seen. Uh, The the first one is that religion is generally uh, a product of uh, a lack of education. So if you look throughout the world the more educated a population is the less religious they are. The second thing you can see and this is a trend and of course there's exceptions to trends but it's a pretty darn big trend and that is as industrialization grew so so uh, religion went down. The more industrialized you are the more uh, migration there's going to be the more people are going to move from job to job more mm-hmm. edu- educated people are going to be the more are going to be involved in the real world not the fantasy world if you are if you're an agric- agricultural economy as the south was and your main function is picking cotton you know or growing tobacco and it's really easy to stay inside the supernatural bubble oh and that supernatural bubble also maintains the the social hierarchy with black people on the bottom and white people on the top and you know that sort of stuff so there was lots and lots oh, of whoop. reasons for the South to stay in its deeply religious fundamentalist focus for, percent, for at least I, I, a century. Why,
4: and why? Why would that be true now? Because because that would mean that places like Dallas and Houston and Atlanta would be less religious, and it seemed to be more.
0: Oh. Uh,
3: well I'm, yeah, there's no doubt that some of them are, but you don't know what the general population I mean, look at that the population has grown a lot in dallas it's It's been a very fast growing city for a long time so do you, how many more churches are there now than when there were than there were in nineteen seventy I'm going to guess, although I have no data to go by that probably about the same number of churches it's the the thing about churches right now is the small churches are dying, and the mega churches. Maybe growing, but they're not growing as fast as the small church populations are dying. So you've kind of got this uh-huh, okay up and down going on. Now, who gets the most media coverage? It's you know, it's the Joel Alston, Oste- Joel Osteins. it's yeah. the mega church, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Robertsons, but that little guy who's running a Southern Baptist church with a hundred members down the road from me right now, he ain't getting no new news media coverage <laughs> so. <laughs> And he's not getting
1: any new members either. His members are dying off, and the new ones aren't coming in.
3: And new ones aren't coming in. And very few of those members are leaving his church to go for the mega churches, because the mega churches is, is thirty I'm miles just, away.
4: I'm just curious why, how they get away with that style of preaching. I mean, how do they get away with that? I mean, that you're a sinner, you're not worthy, you're going to hell if you don't. That would not fly up here. That really, I've never heard a person well, talk well, about. Well, wait a minute. Where, a where do you live, here. Robert? Where do you live?
3: It's in, in New Jersey. Jersey.
4: Okay, then you need to go uh, back
3: and look at your history in New Jersey. Read, read a Cotton Mather's sermon on sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's the name of it. Sinners That's John, of,
1: Jonathan Edwards.
3: John, I'm sorry, Jonathan Edwards. Yeah,
1: ha, at, God holding that was you just over in a mass- fire. Right. That was mm-hmm. just
3: in Massachusetts, not far from where you live. And remember, if you look at the constitutions of those states, of the 13 original colonies, 12 of those original colleges, colonies had religious tests. For example, in Georgia, yeah. you, you could you, if you were of any religion, you could be uh, an official of the state unless you were Catholic or Jewish. Mm-hmm. Catholics and Jews were forbidden by the Georgia constitution for, from holding office. But if you look up in Massachusetts, there, it was a, mainly a Catholic um, colony. They they put restrictions on Protestants. But which of these two groups, states, industrialized? Which of these two states has the best educated population? And that's why in New Jersey now, they've got much less religion than they do down in Georgia.
4: What
1: was your experience in small terrible. town? Go ahead, Robert. I'm sorry.
4: No, I've uh, I guess it's just what I was exposed to. is I was, grew up in small towns in New Jersey, where, you, where, the, where the minister would just be somebody who, you know, went off to Bible school and came back. And they—I I don't think they would think to call you a sinner to your face. It just seems mm-hmm. to be—it uh, seems it just seemed like that was not the sort of thing they would do. I mean, before I left the church because we were moving, I asked the minister because I never believed. And I said to him, uh, I said, so if I die and go to heaven, will I be just like this in heaven, like I'm standing here talking to you? And he said, no, your soul goes to heaven. And I said, is my soul anything I can I could sense or interact with or affect in any way? He said, no. And I said, then who cares what happens to it? And he just That's a good question. And I said, okay, well, uh, nice knowing you. We're moving to another, to another town. But he, he didn't, he didn't say, Oh God is blind. nothing. He had nothing. So uh, it just, I never ran across the fundamentalist sort of person up here. So that's why I call it that. Well, but, they're
1: there. Right. They're, they're there I, in any oh, yeah. place in the country you go to, you can find the Southern Baptists and the Pentecostals. They're just not as prevalent in the, and you mentioned some of those big cities in the South, you know, when we're talking about the South as a whole, Um, And Georgia. uh, Georgia is different than Atlanta. Yeah. And Texas is different than Dallas and Houston. Especially North Carolina. Yeah. Mm -hmm. North Carolina is different than Charlotte. So when you get in the big cities in the south, you'll find a different mindset. I I call them blue dots in red states. It's when you get out. I mean, Genevieve, you know, share your experience with small town North Carolina in terms of fundamentalism.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, my small town was interesting just because we were close to a military base, and so we actually did have a decent amount of people from all over. But something that that it really matched up with, where you get those fire and brimstone preachers, uh, it seemed completely political. Um, it it very mm-hmm. much aligned with you know Christian conservatism and you know Republicans in particular, and I think a lot of that has to do with how. This preaching of fire and brimstone and you're a sinner, it's all about judgment and also about fear. And when you live in a small town, when you take the Bible to mean that, um, like, homosexuality is a sin, then you're going to be angry about the world. You're going to say that, you know, you're going to, what was it, Pat Robertson, I think, who said that Hurricane Katrina was because of the gays, you know? Yeah. So they, you know, what they're doing is, yeah, exactly. You know, what I think what it really comes down to is they're projecting their own fear of the other, their own anger at the world. And that's, that's where, that's what they see their God as as well. You know, God has a million definitions, but it seems like he always kind of lines up with whoever the person is that's describing it. Yeah. Uh,
1: You were lucky, Robert, in that you grew up uh, um, out of that, uh, out of the (laughs) crosshairs of evangelicalism because it's 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 a prevalent and it is more prevalent in southern parts some parts of the country than others as we talked about but it it is you can find it everywhere and you just happened to well, I, oh not i, I be. know i'm
4: i know i'm lucky <laughs> i just i just finished uh, dr ray's uh, book the god virus i got it for oh, day. Ah, I, I just finished it and really extremely well written you know when i was when i was reading it I thought, okay, how's he going to keep this God virus metaphor going? Maybe for a chapter, maybe. It's the entire book. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, really, it's, it's really awesomely written. Well done, sir. It's really, yes. really great. Well,
3: book. thank you. I, you beat me to it, Robert. I was just getting ready to say before you uh, made that comment, and I appreciate that. I uh, really do. Uh, in that book, I kind of predict that it's going to get worse before it gets better because it, it's like – it's almost like um, – once something is attacked, if an animal is attacked, it has a defense mechanism. Well, uh, religion in the United States is feeling under attack. So it's going to fight back. And I say in several places in the book, it's going to get worse. Basically, I I almost want to tell people, look, I told you so. But I shouldn't. When, when did
1: you write that? When did you write that, Daryl? Five I years that, ago about? The,
3: the, the book, oh, hell no. The book itself oh. was written in 2008. It was published in 2009. And I dare say, Robert, except for the specific examples in it, like I, I mentioned people that are dead now, of course, but except for the specific examples, I wouldn't change a word in the whole book. It's all still true. Yeah,
4: It, oh, yeah, it reads like you wrote it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, really, it's, it, it really is well done.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, thank, thank you. When I write a book, my philosophy is to, is to write a book that's going to – be uh, factually the factually the same in 5 years and if i can get 10 years fine i think this one's 12 13 years now so
1: it's
4: it's doing great
1: yeah it's
3: like
4: you wrote yeah, it, it after it just, covid it became a virus <laughs> yeah it, <laughs> it's great well i've taken up enough well, of your time thank I you think. for your call robert and <laughs> thanks robert so well. all right man talk to you later all right. Great show, David and Genevieve. Great show. Good job starting right. this thing up. Thanks for being a public you. figure. You're making the world a better place. Thank You're right.
1: you, brother.
2: You're too sweet. Bye-bye. Take
4: care. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Um, I want to talk more about uh, all those things, but let me go ahead and get this call. Jack's been hanging on a minute. If you guys okay with that?
0: Yeah.
1: Jack wants to ask me. Hey, Jack.
5: Hey, Dave. Yeah. How's it going, man?
1: Good. You're on with Genevieve and Dave and Dr. Dale Ray. How are you tonight?
5: Oh, I'm doing great, dude. I, I just listened to the last caller, and I was the opposite. So I, I kind of grew up in a, a extremely fundamentalist household. Went to Christian school. The whole fucking here. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, how are
1: how are you doing? You, you feel know, like you've gotten. You feel like you've gotten free from all you that. Know, pretty days,
5: well? I never really believed in it.
1: <laughs> good good I, uh, glad it didn't get its claws it in you like
5: bullshit to me and 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 uh i i always held the uh the theory that religion is merely a uh a mass that covers people's fear of death and i think that it's all it really is and i think that uh you know when you're you're afraid of the inevitable you start making up uh Things so, that are going to happen beyond your the life when you have a beautiful life here. I mean, like, what's what's wrong yeah. with what we have on Earth? Uh, it's all so good. Jack, so, that, um, Daryl.
1: What good. what is it? I'm sorry. What is it then? If uh, Daryl, uh, so the virus didn't get its hooks into Jack. So what does that mean? He had. How, how do you explain how some people are more susceptible to the virus than others?
3: Well, that's a that's a good question. And Jack, I, I'd I'd like to know a little more about Jack, but if I were to take a psychological approach to somebody like Jack and realize that he was raised in an area that was infected, deeply infected with with this God virus, and yet and yet it didn't take with him. (laughs) One thing we know from from quite a bit of research over the years is there's five it's called the big five in personalities in humans. There's five different personality characteristics in humans. And only one of those characteristics is, is strongly correlated or inversely correlated with religion. So if you were, if Jack, if you were born, if I gave you a, a personality test and I found that you score very high on openness to new experience and curiosity, which is one of the five. If I, if I find out you score high on right. that, then I can predict that you are highly, you are likely to be um, very, uh, less religious or not religious at all it's inversely correlated
6: Mm -hmm.
3: that you understand what i'm saying there so the more open you are to new experience and curiosity the less religious you are my guess is you are pretty you're an open person with respect to exploring and learning new ideas am i would i be correct in that assumption
5: so you're you're absolutely correct dr
0: Rick.
3: okay so you were the kid. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. You were the kid at seven <laughs> seven years old that drove your parents crazy asking why, Dad? Why, Mom?
5: Well, after I found out there was a Santa Claus, it all kind of went downhill
0: from there.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: that makes sense. What yeah. are the,
5: what are the things you Jesus hasn't brought me nothing. Fuck, Jesus. <laughs>
3: If you are high on those character on that characteristic, you're probably not going to be religious. you're going to the you're the kid that's going to be asking way too many questions in Sunday school. You might be the one that get gets kicked out of Sunday school because you did ask the wrong questions and you know that's so Daryl, as a do.
1: psychologist then My is it year. oh really? oh wow.
5: What'd you, what'd you say? Yeah, I, Jack? Picked, I got picked out my senior year right for graduation. I, I risked I my back case. Back I risked <laughs> my I'm case. Not lie. Yeah. D- Daryl nailed it. I took the high road. I did not take the high road. I took
1: the low road and
5: lied right. my ass off to get back in so I, I could graduate
3: <laughs> with my class. Okay. Well, there so, you
1: go. Daryl, as I've got a question about that, though. So is this... Nature or nurture? Are the people that don't have those predispositions to catch the virus. What? What do you find as a psychologist? What? What is that?
3: I hate. I hate nature nurture. I, I think yeah. they're pretty. I, I think they're. I triggered
1: me. you because I knew that.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you took the bait. You took the bait.
3: <laughs> oh, Dave! Damn it! Damn it! Uh, You've got my number.
1: Hey, I got you. your number. I push know you too my, well.
3: Push my buttons. It's not. It's not nature and nurture. It's there. There's a lot of nuance here. And one thing I I wanted to emphasize is that genetics. You your your susceptibility to the COVID virus, for example, mm-hmm. has something to do with your genetics and how your your immune system is structured. So maybe my immune system is really strong. In a whole lot of areas that I could be resistant to a lot of things, but it's weak around COVID. Then when if COVID comes in my region or area and I get in it, my in my system, I could die from it, even though I'm I've got a really healthy immune system. Otherwise,
6: mm-hmm.
3: that's the way religions work. Religions look for your weak spot. And it religions are always probing. That's what they're doing when they're knocking on your door, when they're teaching you a Bible lesson, when you're putting a you know god hates abortionists up on billboards and stuff like that. they're probing to find out where your where your weak spot is and then the the religion gets into that weak spot and infects you with a whole lot of other doctrines Mm -hmm. let me let me throw a little experiment out uh if i said black lab uh dog black labrador uh could you describe jack could you describe the personality of that dog you there jack jack well i'll keep going how about dash dachshund Dachshund? could you could you or how about
1: poodle the personality what's your answer genevieve do you think you can tell a personality from a dog breed
2: uh loosely um there's predispositions of course but not every dog's Mm -hmm. gonna be the same okay would would you expect a
1: pit
3: bull to have the same personality as a as a uh, black lab not really well wait a minute then what if a black lab raised a puppy as a, a pit bull puppy Do, would the would the pit bull puppy then behave like a lap black lab
2: i mean gosh it's a tough question because it really it depends on the dog i know i have yeah. four of them and yeah. you know they yeah. they all have different personalities but so
3: where where did the dog get their personality did the dog get the personality from its mother because it did not know its father Almost no dog knows who its father is, right? Yeah. Okay. So where did they get the personality?
2: Well, I mean, the interesting thing with dogs, and we've seen this too with like domesticating foxes, is that we are breeding and selecting for certain personality traits. Mm -hmm.
3: You're exactly right. So I'll Mm -hmm. rest my case right there, Genevieve. It's genetic.
2: Yeah.
3: What we now know after some decades of research is that 50% of your personality is directly related to your genes. What if those genes have a propensity towards uh, following authoritarian leadership or propensity towards supernaturalism? Then you are gonna be easily, more easily infected with religious ideas. And we, we're, it's pretty clear. Now, the fact is, if, if you're in the United States, you're gonna, and you've got that confi- personality configuration, you're more likely to get infected with evangelism. But if you were in Pakistan, you would same same person, same genetics, you are more right. likely to get infected with Islam. It's it's whatever God viruses in the environment. Uh. You can't catch COVID in Antarctica right now, because <laughs> it ain't there, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's Only good. what's in that's your great. environment.
1: That's um I think that's an incredibly helpful way to look at things and what's going on in the country and why certain areas are more susceptible to the God virus. Right. Um, And, and, you know, Christians will tell you themselves, evangelicals have these statistics. If you don't get kids when they're young, you're less likely to get them. If you don't get, if you don't get kids in there when they're going into high school and youth group and they've, these college groups, when kids are coming in and they're all vulnerable and and insecure and scared. So you go to these college uh, campus groups and try to Get them hooked. Get your hooks in them. Then there's certain periods of time in life uh, when when the virus you're more susceptible to the virus. Uh,
3: the Jesuits used to say, "Give me the boy till seven, I'll give you the man." Yep. A- and, uh, any, and as I as I write about in the God Virus, when you're under a lot of social stress or physical stress, uh, or your immune immune system is under stress, you are highly likely uh, you are highly susceptible to getting. Infected with religious viruses.
6: Mm-hmm. So
3: when or somebody dies in your family, why do ministers spend the whole funeral proselytizing?
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Because that's the time to grab you.
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody, they know it.
3: Yep. Exactly. You, you get a diagnosis of cancer today. I'll guarantee you the chaplain will be in the hospital room with you, trying to save your soul. Well, tomorrow.
1: that speaks to what Jack had on his notes and wants to ask Dave why he didn't turn to religion after my ALS diagnosis. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's bullshit. And I knew it.
5: (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was getting here, Dave. Well, I mean. Make it, make it, Pascal's wager type of thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you, you know my story at all, you know that when I discarded religion, it was such a, it was such a done deal. It was just like, I was just completely done. And so getting an ALS diagnosis, didn't move the needle on that at all. Not, I mean, not even a, not even a fraction. There was no, there was no thought, not for a second. Oh, maybe I messed up. Maybe, maybe God's punishing me. Maybe God's testing me. None of that shit ever entered my mind. So the, the idea I've said it before that this const this phrase, there's no atheist in foxholes is a, is lie.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm an atheist
1: and I'm in a foxhole. Yeah. <laughs>
2: You, you really can't control what you For do sure. or don't believe. Um, no. You know, like, you know, when my father passed away last year, I, you know, it's heartbreaking. I, I still grieve so hard every day. But, mm-hmm. you know, wanting this possibility of seeing him in an afterlife doesn't mean that I can actually believe there's an afterlife. Because my, my <laughs> beliefs have nothing to do with my wants. It has everything to do with my, my logic and my rationality.
1: Yeah, that's so good. I mean, you can't you can't make yourself believe something your your mind knows is not true. Well, Jack, thank you for the call. Anything else? We'll let you go before we let you go.
5: Hey, no, it was a it was a great call and very informative. I'm gonna have to check out Doctor Ray's book. I'm a pretty avid reader, so I'm gonna the uh, Godparents. Pick,
1: pick it up at Amazon. Up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for calling. Oh, I right.
5: enjoy listening to you guys.
3: Appreciate
1: your thank your, your for support. Calling.
3: Uh Mm -hmm. I see Will Judy's on here. He's he's a friend of mine and he's saying you are a master. You are a master masturbator or something. (laughs) Master
1: masturbator. Yeah, right. Uh, I chatted with Will the other day. Hey, Will. Um, Yeah, uh, before we... I've got another call I want to get to real quick. I want to encourage everyone, if you haven't, uh, like and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate your support. If you can... Become a Patreon supporter. We would appreciate that. Everything that we that you can share helps us do what we're doing. So, uh, but definitely subscribe to the channel and share it and like it because we have we have these amazing conversations every week. It's just uh, uh, we're really enjoying this. We've got. Can we take another call, guys? Sure. sure. Okay, we got Seth in Michigan. He him wants to ask Dr. Ray and hosts. That's me and you, G, about. <laughs> Theist arguments and how they defend them in conversation. Hello, Seth. Uh, hello. How oh, are hi. you, man? Hey, Seth. Um, I'm doing
7: good. Uh, I'm the one that you met in the Tennessee retreat, Dave.
1: Oh, Seth. Hey, man. Hello. How are you doing? How I'm you doing good. Man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, oh, man. I, uh, yeah, great. Seth. Uh, Tell give us uh just a brief synopsis of what you came out of. Dr. Ray would would find it fascinating, I think, and um what you're dealing with, and then we can get to your question. Sure. Um
7: so have any of you well, obviously Dave has because I told him, but have you heard of the PRC Protestant Reform churches?
3: Nope, that's a new yeah. one for me.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can't say
3: that I have Okay. Either.
7: Um so yeah, it's a very conservative uh Dutch Reformed uh background church. Um they're down to like eight thousand members at this point. It's um not many people, but basically um yeah, very conservative Calvinist um background. And I was going to become a pastor and I went to school, um, to become a pastor. I didn't actually go to seminary yet, but I started listening to, um, a bunch of different podcasts and just started slowly expanding my bubble. And over the course of a year and a half or so, I deconverted. Um, and I kept it quiet for a while, but, um, there was one night after church where I was elected uh, president of the young adults group in our church. And that was just too much for me. So I came out to my parents um, and that was a disaster. Uh, Had uh, went to the pastor that night and started the process of church discipline where you talk to, elders and pastor for a few months Um, and about a year ago maybe not so much uh, maybe nine months ago I was officially excommunicated from the PRC so um,
3: congratulations and I still
7: (laughs) yeah thank you Um, and I'm still in regular contact even though shunning is sort of a practice of the church I'm still working for my dad right now so um, I'm still in constant contact with the PRC so that's a struggle that I have
3: is that triggering you occasionally
7: yeah yeah it is I really feel like I should get a new job it's just that well, um, you you
1: told yeah. us that you work for your dad and you basically he doesn't talk to you basically other than work related conversations, but pretty much a a non-relationship at this point.
7: Yeah, yeah, and that goes both ways. It's
1: Yeah. Yeah.
7: Yeah, it's really hard to have any kind of relationship when the church tells you that the only relationship you're allowed to have is converting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well,
1: um, I, I remember yeah. recommending recovering from religion. Did you have you had a chance to connect with anyone in that in the organization that Daryl uh, founded? I I have
7: not. There's a recovering from religion group in Holland, uh, Michigan, okay. which is not so far away. Um, mm-hmm. I've been going to Center for Inquiry meetings. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. So I've connected good. with some people, but. Uh, no, I haven't really used recovering from religion much.
3: Well,
1: and, <laughs> and you were able to connect with a friend that I have up there as well. You guys got together, if if I recall. Yeah, Joe. Joe. Yeah, that's right. Pellerino. Uh-huh.
7: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We talked for a while and then, uh, we played, uh, frisbee golf recently too. Oh, right. really?
0: Cool. <laughs>
3: good
1: yeah well did you have any what what what, um, your 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 question was about how to defend them in the go ahead and ask your question for dr ray sure um so
7: i've been in a lot of contact lately with people who are really into jordan peterson and jonathan padjo and uh those types um and i just find it interesting talking to them especially through the lens of like uh your book the god virus um just thinking about the meme adapting so it can survive um Mm -hmm. how they have all these psychological analyses and looking at patterns in art and how you always see things through a narrative. So there's no real objective lens to view things through. So you might as well accept the place that you're born into. Um, And I just find it interesting because when, when I'm listening to this, all I'm thinking is a man floating through the clouds to a place called heaven or zombies wandering Jerusalem or, (laughs) you know, any of these things just, Mm-hmm. All of the miraculous claims of the Bible or spirits or whatever. And I just, um, I guess I'd like a, just some thoughts on, on that phenomenon, if you have any, uh, uh, Christianity, uh, especially more conservative Christians thinking
3: that these are defenses of their faith. Yeah. Well, are you in active conversation with these people? Yes, I am. What motivates you to be in active conversation with them? Um. Well,
7: I I just uh, went on Meetup, and I just was looking for places to have conversations with people because I'm I'm kind of a um. I like to have some kind of debate from time to time Um, and Center for Inquiry was one place I went that was also for community and then also Mm -hmm. there's a Jordan Peterson discussion group near me and I thought that that would just be interesting to see that perspective and talk to them.
1: Okay.
3: Well, I, I'm not sure you've answered the question though. What motivates you to do this? What do you What do you, you, what do you, I, want, you I, want to get out of it? What's yeah. your
1: purpose in doing it? Right. Essentially, hmm, could be just recreational, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just yeah, sport. It can, it's, I it's like feel like I feel like recreational <laughs> is what I'm going for. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's kind of what it sounded like when you okay. were talking about you like to to debate. And what do you think about that, Daryl? I mean, I guess. Well, I wonder if. Uh,
3: I'm not finished <laughs> with that okay. yet. It may be recreational, but what I'm at, what I really want to understand is: Does it disturb you when mm. when you have these conversations? Do you lose sleep over it at night? Do you think about it for hours on end afterwards? Um, no. the The only
7: conversations that really bother me is when we get to talking about hell. Um, It really bothers me when people don't seem to care about the doctrine of hell and just view it as a a brush off kind of fact. Um, That bothers me. But normal, normal debates, conversations,
3: I actually enjoy them. Okay. well, knock yourself out. Have a good time. And I wouldn't have any trouble with that if it does trigger you or that you have emotional responses to people people's understanding or lack thereof of of hell that's i would pay attention to that because why why put yourself through that
1: yeah what i guess your point is you're making daryl is you don't want to get yourself in a situation that causes you undue trauma and you know don't don't subject yourself to something that's going to cause you uh to to get disturbed
3: i'm also curious if you have a you know somewhat of a need that you want to convert them or put put great logic into their heads. Is, is that a motivation on your part? Um, it,
7: I mean, it might be, I, I don't know. It. maybe it is like, I don't like to think it is, but it probably
3: is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of us want to do that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to. My concern is, and I see this a lot, you you do what works for you, Seth. Daryl's not an expert on your life. Your life, you're the expert. What I see though, when people put a lot of time and energy into wanting to convert other people, it actually detracts from them dealing with some of their own own stuff and learning to where to go from there. And I don't, I, I oh. am not, I'm not a debater, so it's not even something I enjoy. But I just, I would just want, ask yourself am I doing this to try and convert them or am I doing this? Cause I still got questions. I have not answered. Am I doing this because I'm angry about people, the way people treat hell or something? You know, I don't know, but I would like to be, I would like to it, scratch the surface and get down there and find that. out what your motivation is. That's what I wanted to do.
7: Yeah, it could be that. Um, a large part of my motivations is uh, that I'm frustrated with how how I've been treated with no no seeming justification, and mm-hmm. I I do want to be combative because it's like I I I want to push past these these barriers that have changed my life so much. Um, right. Well, so, yeah. There could. There's probably definitely uh, personal issues there
3: that are driving it. Well, you know, I think a lot of people who get engaged in that stuff are really trying to make a difference. You're you're really Mm -hmm. trying to help people live better and more productive lives. And you can see that their belief structure is inhibiting or interfering with that. And I think people like Jordan Peterson are the masters at people at using crazy logic to keep people trapped in their own bubbles. That's what I see Jordan Peterson doing.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: So my question, mm-hmm. or my challenge to you would be, Seth, could you take that energy that you're spending debating these people and put it towards making a real difference in somebody's life? And I'm going to go there. You could volunteer for Recovery for <laughs> I knew you would! <laughs> <laughs>
0: But I don't uh, care. You know,
3: CFI, oh. CFI needs volunteers. You can debate all day long on the Jordan Peterson thing. You won't change a single pe- person's mind. Or you could go to CFI and help them make a difference in the world. Or you could volunteer for a government religion and talk to a real human being who's struggling to get out of their religious mm-hmm. brainwashing. So the question is, how do you want to spend your time in this one life that you have? You only got one mm-hmm. life, and you can only do it, use it one time to make a difference in this particular world. So that's my challenge to you. What are you going to use? You can use that time non-productively with Jordan Peterson, or you can use it productively somewhere else mm-hmm. to actually make a difference in somebody's life.
1: Yeah, I'll have to think about that. And uh, Doctor Doctor Ray's not going to charge you for this session. So <laughs> <laughs> this is on the house, right, Daryl? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he 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 was asking, and, and there's there's probably not an answer for that right now, but I, I love his approach to this because as you know, my message, it's, it's about, it's about making the moments in this one life count. And, and I, I love what Daryl said that, that we, we have to measure how we're spending our time and, and whether that time is productive towards something. And there are plenty of places you can put your uh, debating uh skills and desires to good use in in ways that really move people forward in life because many people are stuck in a place and they don't know how to Mm -hmm. get how to get out of it and how to move forward and there are avenues for you to to engage with that and make a difference and so that's some really really good food for thought I think tonight yeah thank you you bet man you're a good guy I know I know you're you're still kind of new, new in all of this. And, and, and a lot of, I wanted to speak to it as well. I think we all go through wh- what's known as the angry atheist phase where we're pissed off. We're pissed off that we were lied to. We're pissed off that, that, that religion is getting away with this shit. We're pissed off that they're not paying taxes, all this shit. We're just pissed off. And, and that can, we can expend a lot of, of a negative energy into that, into that void and get nothing back from it. And, um, so a lot of us go through that phase and then come out on the other side of it. And, and the people who stay in that place to me are, are wasting their energy and wasting their lives. Cause, cause you really, really can't. I mean, yeah, we get angry. I get angry at the anti-vaxxers every day cause they are killing people and they are inhibiting my life and that's selfish, but it's true. Um, but I can't stay in that angry place. I just can't. It's too costly. So I've had to find ways to, to, to take the energy, the one bit of energy, the one life I have, and find a way to make a difference in a positive, and in a positive vein for people. And, and so that's what I think Daryl's challenge to you is, is just look in and look out and look around and see, you know, how's that, how's that working for you? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, it does. Good.
1: Thank you. You bet, man.
3: Enjoy your life.
1: Well, thanks for calling in, Seth, and keep in touch. And uh, I'm uh, I, I'm just looking for good things for you and, and moving forward. You're a good guy. I enjoyed meeting you a few weeks ago. I
7: love
3: that. I enjoyed uh, meeting you, too. Thank you.
1: All right, buddy. Take care.
3: I, I love that you um, cast us having that retreat in Tennessee
1: yeah, yeah, we had that. We had that. And Seth drove he drove down from Michigan. Yeah. Like all yeah. after work on Friday, all through the night, got there Saturday morning, hung out all day Saturday, got a couple hours sleep, and then drove back Saturday night. Wow. I mean Sunday to, to work. He was that wow. um he was that desperate for connection, you know, coming out of that hyper conservative fundamentalism that he came yeah. out of. But he's a very, very sharp young man. I really I remember being Really impressed with him, so he's he's trying to find a place to engage, and yeah. so you know I think he'll figure it out
3: I think there's going to be a need for a lot of these kinds of retreats whether it, whether it's the retreat that we do or the kind of treat you guys did with cast mm-hmm. it's it's going to be more and more as people leave they need support and they need intense support sometimes mm-hmm. That,
6: mm-hmm. that you can only
3: get through that kind of peer group sometimes.
1: So, well, Daryl, tell off, us. Cast
3: off the cast for doing that. I'm. I yeah, I love we, that was Man. our
1: third one we've done. So, yeah. uh, it's been a few different people um, each time, but some of the same ones as well. Right. Uh, Marie was there. You know Marie. Um,
3: no, who is Marie?
1: Yeah, you know Marie. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Daryl, take us back. What's it been? Twelve years now? Eleven years? 12 years, 12 years. What was it? What was it that caused you? What was the formulation of recovering from religion in your mind? Where, where did this come from and why? Just, just the nuts and bolts of it.
3: It was an accident. It was as, as many things are in life. Mm -hmm. I was trying to promote my book, The God Virus. And it was like um, uh, March, March of 2009. The book had just come out in January And I was promoting the hell out of it, of course. And my publicist said, well, Daryl, you ought to start a group. Um, You ought to start an organization called Recovery from Religion and use that to market your book. Hmm. I thought, well, that's a good idea. So I put an announcement. So I thought, oh, I'll test this idea. So I put an announcement on a meetup. That was back when the early days of meetup. said, I'm going to have this meeting, call it recovery from religion. I put a meetup. Two weeks ahead of time, and then the day of the meetup, we met at a back room of a international house of pancakes. And eleven people showed up, and I only knew two of them. Wow! And it was at the end of like three hours, the restaurant manager is kicking us out because he's closing the room. At that moment, I realized this isn't a publicity stunt. This is not a way to sell my books. This is a fucking need, and that was the beginning. It started off wow. as a publicity stunt, so to speak. You know, a way to sell more books. And then pretty quickly I realized, no, no, this is too serious. I I'm not going to play around. So literally from the minute that meeting was over, recovering religion was started. It, it hmm. didn't start at the beginning; it started at the end of that meeting. And uh, I ha- I started holding weekly meetings right here in Kansas City for, uh, with the help of of uh, Kay Huddleston and Cole Morgan, two other people here in town. And they kind of, and then we spread up, split off, and we had two more meetings. So we got three meetings going. All, all every month, all around the metro area, and they're well attended. Some of them, Cole was getting twenty five people to show up to his meetings. Hmm. I'm thinking, wow, we have really got a tiger by the tail, and this is all within months, within months afterwards. So, I knew there was something I didn't know exactly how it would, you know, I would pan out, and I'll I'll just tell you the first, first eight years of recovery from religion were difficult. It was hard. It was a constant slog. But we saw the need and there were people saying they were benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. And then finally, once we got over that, you know, you have to build your infrastructure, you have to build your IT systems, you have to build your name recognition. All those things we had to do. We had to do it hard. It was a lot of work and a lot of people were involved, not just Daryl. It was and not just Gail. I mean, it was a whole bunch of people. So that's that's, you know, that's kind of the quick story. Was mean. Gail
1: Jordan involved with it from the get go? How did you connect oh no with
3: no! She's been with us six years now. But no, so how did was, you and
1: how did you and Gail connect?
3: Uh, I met her, and I believe it was Cincinnati at a at a local um, little. Oh oh no! It was in yeah, it was Cincinnati, I think, a Free Thought conference, a little Free Thought conference, local, and she and Elliot were there, and then I did a special workshop for leadership because I I like to push leadership, teach leadership in uh, the secular community, mm-hmm. and they came to my workshop. And I just loved them. I just instantly fell in love with both of them, and we kept in contact. And I met her at another, uh, another event not long after that. And then when we needed an executive director, I announced that We got five applicants, I think, for the job, and I interviewed them all. And Gail was one of them, and she was hands down the best by by mm-hmm. a long shot. She was the best, <laughs> and I, it was not a. It was a. It was a good decision. To put that. Yeah.
1: Way. Well, um, Genevieve, when did you first hear about Recovering from Religion and what was your coming out of your sec, through your secular lens? What, what was your thought about that as an organization and what it represented?
2: You know, I, at this point, I can't think of the the first moment where I heard about Recovering from Religion, but I think it was since before I started really getting involved with this that I knew it was there. And so, you know, if I would go, you know, on, I'm in like Facebook groups or on on Reddit, and when people are talking about uh, talking about their trauma, I always, you know, I've been telling everybody, you know, go check out Recovering from Religion. You can call mm-hmm. and talk to somebody. Or I have friends that have gone through it, and I'm like, you know, you should really volunteer um, because it is so necessary. And it, you know, it made perfect, perfect sense. I'm honestly surprised that it was an accident. Um, because it seems (laughs) it seems so obvious of course we need this especially of course you know especially (laughs) because a big complaint that I've heard from friends who have been dealing with religious trauma is that when they bring it up with their therapists you know a lot of therapists don't don't really know about Mm -hmm. that. they don't really talk about that a lot of therapists are religious which is you know also why the secular therapy project is so important in conjunction with this Right, it's just you know I'm so happy. Well, that you know, yeah, that the this religious
1: religious trauma that uh, when was it? Doctor Marlene Winnell mm-hmm. coined that phrase. How long ago was that, Dale? Uh, Ten uh, years. Ten years ago. Ten years. So, ago. as a psychologist, you, RFR kind of predated that by a year or two. Right. As a psychologist, did you think that that was a thing before she used that phrase, or did that surprise you, or what? what what we owe a lot
3: to Mar- Dr. Winnell
1: is for putting a name
3: to what we've been seeing all along as yeah. a psychologist going back I'm a, I've been a psychologist for 40 plus years right I, I have seen trauma and i've seen trauma that looked like it was perpetuated or caused by religion but i never had a name for it until she came along so you know it's sometimes it's interesting when you can name something uh, i i call it the the red Volkswagen effect I in 1970 I bought I bought my first Volkswagen and it was bright red and I, I drove I, I had driven an old Rambler from Nashville Tennessee to Wichita where my family was for right. Christmas and while I was there I traded in my old Rambler and bought this red bug I drove all the way back to Tennessee from there. And you know something? There were hundreds of red Volkswagens on the highway going back to Nashville. I didn't didn't see a single one on the way from Nashville to Wichita.
1: Yeah, but they were there.
3: Yeah, they were probably there. I just, my perception wasn't tuned into that.
1: Yeah, that's a good phrase.
3: Now that we've got a, a name for religious trauma, we can start putting a diagnosis to that. We can start looking at the symptoms, the etiology, what causes something. And it's there. It's been there all along. We just couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful gift that she's given us. And I can't say thank you enough to her because as a result of that, many psychologists, many of us in the psychotherapy project, many social workers, clinical work, clinical uh, therapists now have a name to put on it. And there's more and more research being done you know, the fact is that we know what trauma looks like. Mm-hmm. It, what is, what caused it could be religion. It could be war. It could be ref being refugee. It could be, you know, being a national natural disaster. But of those four things I just named, the one thing that nobody ever talks about is religion.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And well, right.
1: we, we, uh, we intend to have, we're going to, uh, Genevieve, we'll have Dr. Winnell on the show. Uh, I'm going to reach out to her soon. I haven't yet, but I will. Um, I know I know several people personally. One one guy I'm thinking of as uh, a good friend of mine lives in in the Nashville area. He he did three tours of duty in Afghanistan, and he's on uh, um, me- me- medical PTSD. Um, what am I looking for from anyway? He's he's di- discharged because of medical reasons for PTSD right. from the military. Jesus, I couldn't right. think of military. <laughs> um, my brain's whacked, but. He will tell you, and he has told me the trauma he experiences from his early religion as a Pentecostal is worse than the PTSD from the military. Mm. He said, it's oh. more traumatic waking up in night sweats, thinking about how, um, he was in the hardcore evangelical fundamentalist Pentecostal raised as a boy. Um, and, and he can compare the two and he says, Oh, hands down religions is more traumatic to me than the, than the military was, and that that tells you something right there.
3: It, it does, and religion gets a pass
1: because it does.
3: People say, "Oh, religion's benign. Religion is good. You have to be religious to be moral. All that kind of bullshit." Then that means psychologists, therapists don't look at it. They don't scratch down below the surface. But I'm guaranteeing you, if if I had somebody come in my office now with signs and symptoms of trauma, I would scratch below the surface to try and find the roots. And if they said they have been to Afghanistan, fine. I still want to know, you know, what religion were you and what were you raised? Right. Because sometimes what we're, what we now know is there's, there's a, there's a test you can take. Uh, CDC put it out about eight or nine years ago called the adverse childhood experiences, ACE, A-C-E, adverse childhood experience. I would encourage anybody that wants to go on there and take the test. Mm-hmm. What, it, what we know is if you've had, if you score high on Everest Childhood Experiences, ACE test, then you probably have got some kind of childhood trauma that you're still dealing with.
6: Hmm.
3: Well, if you had childhood trauma and then you're exposed to religion or you're exposed to war, you know, or or you exposed to domestic abuse or something that compounds it. And some people were, would be calling that it's, it's, it's got a name. It's called complex PTSD. Uh, there's still some controversy about how to define complex PTSD. Yeah. But and that's okay. But think about your friend. He had trauma from his religious upbringing and then he had trauma from his, his war experience. Yeah. That's pretty complex. That's two different serious sources of trauma for him.
1: Okay. So religious trauma, what do you say? What do we say to the people? I'm thinking of my sweet little mama who loves everybody. And it's just sweet little 87 year old, white headed woman who loves Jesus and, and just thinks that he's the most wonderful thing. And is very disturbed by my atheism. Um, my evangelical pastor brother, his two sons and daughter-in-law who are on staff at his big church in East Texas. And they just preach the gospel and love people. And they're not doing any harm. They're not doing any damage. Everyone's happy. Everyone's doing great. And they look at us talking about religious trauma and they just go, what are you talking about? There's no religious trauma in my world. What do you say to them?
3: Well, it's there. It's been there for decades. It's been there for centuries. I mean, the, the, the gay kid in those churches okay. can't, can't talk out loud about it or he will be vilified from the pulpit, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The girl who got pregnant uh, out of, quote, out of wedlock might might be uh, shamed in front of the whole church or brought before the elders, you know, or there's something that something might happen. The, there will, at the worst, there will be people gossiping behind her back because she's pregnant without a husband. Mm-hmm. People, Gay people who want to get married, even people who are not, who are just cis hetero living together could cause all sorts of, of controversy and getting kicked out of the church and family not talking to them. Shunning is a real issue among almost all patriarchal religions. Now, they may not be as systematic as Jehovah's Witnesses are or Seventh-day Adventists, but a Catholic family can shun you just as quick Mm -hmm. if you have an abortion, for example. Let's say you're a woman and you get pregnant. You don't want to have the baby. You have an abortion. They will shame the hell out of you until you are traumatized. Mm -hmm. And they will make sure that you are miserable. That can last a lifetime there. That's all so, those things are hidden, though, because the religion thinks they're doing the right yeah. thing. They're right. So is these,
1: their- it's these hidden things you're talking about. So the teenage boy who is is master- You said you didn't want to talk about masturbation, but I'm going to talk about it. The, the teenage Daryl does not like to talk about masturbation. He just likes to, he just likes to do it. He doesn't like to talk about it. Um, the teenage boy who's secretly masturbating and feeling guilt and shame because of it. Does that produce trauma in him?
3: Absolutely. Especially if if somebody should find out. If he gets shamed in the locker room by other boys. But even if he's
1: not ever caught, even if he's not ever found out, just the idea that he's doing something Mm -hmm. sinful and shameful. What does that do to his psyche?
3: Well, you got to put into the play the other components of that indoctrination. You're going to hell. Hell is a pretty traumatic concept. And if you, if you truly believe that you have violated God, I mean, think about this. How many, there's quite a few stories in the middle ages of priests cutting their own testicles off because they Mm -hmm. couldn't stop. I'm thinking that church traumatized that priest. That's a pretty radical thing to do. I know boys, 14 years old, who have contemplated the same thing and they're Baptists. That's trauma. That is really crazy when well a kid... I mean
1: look at the language in the scripture I'm thinking of of, of right now Jesus uh, scriptures attributing uh, attributed to Jesus saying something like this if your right eye offends you yeah. pluck it out it'd be better for you to enter into life without an eye than to be cast into hell if your right hand offends you what do you think they're thinking that is yeah. I mean, that, yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. um, <laughs> cut your hand off because it's better that you enter into life with one right, arm right. than to be cast into hell. What kind of a language is that for people to be well, digesting? Language
3: has consequences. Language yes. goes straight into our brain. And when you're five years old and this language is being implemented in your brain, so is the religion. I tell, I tell this a lot in, in my talks at five years old, you were being taught English. I'm guessing both of you, but I'll bet you never once thought, mom and dad, why aren't you teaching me Chinese?
6: Mm-hmm. Why aren't you teaching mm-hmm.
3: me German? You never right. thought about that. Right. Neither neither did you think, for Genevieve in your situation, you never thought, mom and dad, why aren't you teaching me to be a Buddhist?
6: Yeah. Right?
3: And Dave, you never thought, "Why aren't, mom and dad, why aren't you teaching me a Muslim? Mm-hmm. because you are not uh, aware. You, you can't make those choices. You are imp- it is imposed in your brain right off the bat. Now, once you get old enough to be a critical thinker, it's so deeply embedded in you, you can't even see the fallacies of the religion you were raised in.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and yet those fallacies can cause deep emotional conflict. It's called cognitive dissonance. And if you've got a dissonance between your biological body wanting to masturbate And your religious brain saying you can't do that or you're going to hell, that conflict constantly hitting over and over and over again can cause, especially adolescents, to do some pretty damaging things. Mm -hmm. Girls or boys Mm -hmm. cutting themselves. I mean, we see a lot of that coming out of churches.
1: Sure, you do. Yeah.
3: Suicide, self mutilation, you know, emotional trauma and and responses to you know what would be a normal get, you know just getting naked in front of somebody in a, in the shower could be traumatic because other kids are going to make fun of you about your right. body. Mm-hmm. I mean there's lots of things that can happen and it's all directly related to religion.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know what's interesting too is that even though the bible says to gouge out your own eyes or cut off your own hand so often we see this trauma that causes people to then just be violent to others and to yeah, blame others. True. I mean yeah. look at exactly what happened in Atlanta earlier this year, you know. That was absolutely a sign of religious trauma to be yep. so tempted by these women that you go and massacre yeah. you know so many yeah. of them. It's it's horrible. And and the other thing too when when you know i'm thinking about you know your sweet mom and, and and brother and you know all these families that are you know have this great relationship with god and like religion brings them so much value just like how that fire and brimstone theology tends to coincide with conservatism another thing that tends to coincide with conservatism is not really believing anything's an issue if it doesn't affect you personally
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's too. That's good. And if you've got yeah, yeah, that is, that is, that's exactly right, Genevieve. And they live, they live in really a a very tightly enclosed bubble. Mm -hmm. They went to a Christian school that their church has, the kids went to ORU, Oral Roberts University. Everything is, let's just keep all of the group think intact. So you don't ever have to encounter anything that's outside the bubble. Of course, it's it's like living in that, in that old movie called, called The Village. Do you remember that M. Night mm-hmm. Shyamalan movie, uh, The Village, where everybody was protected within this environment that was carefully controlled, and if you got out, you realize there's a whole other world going on out there, but it doesn't affect me, so I don't really have to worry about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a good point, Genevieve. <laughs> well, let's get us out of here a little early tonight but, um, so we don't run too late. We've got a... Sh- a sh- a sharp cutoff. Daryl, uh, tell us how people can support recovery from religion, how they can get involved, all of that.
3: Well, go to our, first of all, if you need help, if you need support, you can go to recoverfromreligion.org and hit the chat button and you'll, you'll be able to talk to a volunteer who's really well-trained. We have incredibly good training for our volunteers and, uh, we put them through hours and hours of training and supervision before we let them talk to somebody. If you you can talk on the phone, you can chat if you want. I think we cover 16 time zones. We have we have 300 volunteers right around that many right now covering 16 time, zone, time zones. And they are, some of them are in individual meetings face-to-face and some of them are on phone or chat. So go, come to us if you need help. And we can find resources. If you need resources to deal with the fear of hell, if you need resources to, deal, to understand what your own religious trauma might be, we can point you in the direction so you you don't have to you don't have to yeah. suffer number one and number two you don't have to wait or work on it and that's on, 24 hours a day. Pretty much, pretty much. Okay. I mean we are a volunteer organization, but we got great volunteers in Australia. We got volunteers in the United Kingdom. Uh, so and the chances afraid. are if
1: you log in, if you log into the chat room, the chances are somebody's gonna respond pretty quickly, right. is, is right. what you're right. saying. Right. And then the secular therapy project, talk yeah. a bit about that.
3: Well, the secular Therapy Project is if you need a therapist that's not going to send you back to church or pray with you or say, you know, I, I've actually known therapists to say your, your depression is caused because you're an atheist. Go mm-hmm. back to church and it'll get rid of your depression. I'm serious. Uh, there are licensed uh, therapists out there who uh, say this kind of shit. So you can go to that's the That's the website. And what you have to do is you have to register as a client first, and you can use a fake name. There's no, it's all confidential. You use a fake name or use your own email or whatever, and then you can search. It'll allow you into our system and you can search for a therapist who fits the specialty you need or is close to you. If you want to try and meet with them face to face, I do want to caution people. Many therapists cannot practice outside of their state. So they may be able to work with you on the phone or on the computer if they're within your same state, but if across the state lines, they may not be able to, uh, some can some can't. So you then, you then email them through our system and they will correspond with you to decide if you want to work with them or, or if you, they fit within their practice. Uh, now they do charge. We don't charge anything for the secular therapy project. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a referral service if you will, but, um, of course, therapists are professionals. And if you want to support recovery from religion, just, be supportive of us, you can do one of two things. You can donate and uh, hit the donate button, or you can uh, so get on social media and like our stuff or join our, our groups. And uh, you can also volunteer. We're always looking for volunteers. And there's lots of things to do. We need IT support people. We need web kind of people. We need chat line agents. We need a small group, support group people uh, all around the world there's a lot of different jobs that we have and we're always looking for somebody to fill new niches. We, uh, we, we have a blog. We have, you can write for our blog. There's, um, video content we produce every year. There's lots of things you can do to to get involved if you're interested in actually helping somebody get over their religious trauma or their religious
1: indoctrination.
3: Is that the answer there for you, Dave?
1: Yes. I, I just, um, I, I, I refer people almost anytime I'm doing anything. I send people to RFR because I so believe in the work you guys do. I've told you this many times, Daryl. I'm, I'm just so impressed with what RFR is and, and the people you serve and the way that you help people and, and how the, the quality of the help. I mean, I've seen firsthand. I've been with you when you've been in chat rooms and you've shown me the chats going on and, and, and the training that goes into that. You know, they're not just... Uh, somebody spouting off a bunch of advice to someone. Oh no! You know <laughs> it, it's so carefully done and so well done, and it really, really, really helps people. Um, so well, I really,
3: your listeners, don't take my word for it. Don't take David's word. You can hit the chat button and experience it yourself. Just tell them daryl sent you. You're just looking at what it, what the services are and ask him any question you want. In fact, try to get them to convert you or deconvert you. <laughs> I guarantee they won't take the bait. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Tell me, should I quit going to church? <laughs> um, and that Monday night meeting, that RFRX, is that open to anyone or do you have to kind of be a member? It's, I, it's open, open to anybody. Going on. We Every week you have right? that, right? It's yeah, well, How would you explain that? It. that? It's a big Zoom meeting with like yeah. 100 to- and we always a lot have of a, a
3: speaker that's an expert in whatever. I mean, as I'm speaking to you tonight, the, we have a speaker talking about a cult that she got out of and how she mm-hmm. got out of it. Uh, Rob Palmer did a talk a couple of weeks ago on the skeptic mind and how to train your mind to be more skeptical. I mean, oh. they're valuable mm-hmm. kinds of ideas. I've, obviously, I've spoken on a few times on things on how do you, you know, how do you deal with religious trauma or how you get infected with religion in the first place. Every week, we've had Doctor mm-hmm. w- Marlene Winnell on it as well. Uh, you name the person, Doctor
1: Hector Garcia has been on it. Well, yeah, sure. not everybody that speaks on there is an expert because I've done it. So you do have just <laughs> you do have your random. We
3: oh, <laughs> you set the bar pretty low for you. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> they let me on because I'm dying, I think, but that's the only yeah, reason.
3: Well, we like we like you, Dave. But everybody, no. I mean, they do. What you've got to say is important.
1: Yeah, I do talk about looking at death, and that's yeah. something there is a, a big fear of death out there that I've yeah. encountered since I've been doing Dying Out Loud, and it's something that we do need to talk more about.
3: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: But, uh, Gerald, you're such a good friend, and I really appreciate our friendship that yep. just keeps getting richer and richer. So, thank you for coming on tonight. Um, my,
3: my pleasure, and good to meet you, Genevieve. Yeah, it thanks is- for all you're doing.
2: Of course, it is so, so nice to meet you again. You're such a beacon of light in this world. It's been amazing hearing from you. And once again, thank you for everything that you're doing with these organizations because you're helping a lot of people.
1: So when Bevan and I showed up at the excursion last weekend, there's all these cabins scattered Mm -hmm. out in the woods and we're driving up and we're not sure. The driveways go all directions and it was very confusing. And so I pulled up to where some cars were and I said, well, let's just see if this is it. And then I heard that laugh and I knew (laughs) that I was where I needed to be. The Daryl Ray laugh. I said, yeah, there's Daryl. We're here.
3: well i i okay i gotta go the other way uh somebody said there was a lot of noise in your direction that night uh just saying i, I wouldn't know what that noise was david but anyway
1: oh oh well. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're out of time folks we're out of time. <laughs> oh,
0: busted!
1: i was busted yeah we were a little louder than we thought we were but um Again, folks, hit the like and subscribe button if you can. If you can donate Patreon-wise, we appreciate it. It takes money to put the show on. And we love coming to you each week. Genevieve, remind us who's on next week.
2: Oh, gosh. Oh, yes, next week. I'm so excited. Yes, Captain Deadpool. I had to think about it for one second. So, unfortunately, Dave will not be joining us, but we'll still keep the D and GD. It'll just be Genevieve and Deadpool. He is, you know... A famous TikToker, an uh, incredible friend. I'm so excited for that. And our guest that night is going to be his co-host from his show Nerds and Heresy. That is Natty Nat. I'm very excited to talk to her about dispelling pseudoscience and myths and, and cults and, and all things weird under the sun that people believe. And rocks, mm-hmm. of course, too. Very excited because she's
1: that. what's her title? She's a uh, she geo- is a
2: geoarchaeologist. Uh, yes. She warned, yeah, she warned us uh, not to let her talk about rocks because she won't shut up. But I, <laughs> I love rocks, so I am I will nerd out with them all night long. Yeah. And definitely, you can check out their their youtube show uh, i think they go live on sundays um but that's nerds and heresy you can find it on youtube too i should be landing
1: in time to to put a phone call in i'll have a question about rocks i'm sure so
2: yes yes i'll I'll see
1: you guys remotely daryl we'll see you one of these days soon genevieve thanks again and that's our show for tonight folks Mm
0: -hmm. thanks (laughs)